Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with consecrating our talents to God as we pick up in Exodus chapter 31, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Always your talent will find its greatest release when anointed of God's Spirit and doing the work of God. And anything less will always be a little unsatisfactory. You won't have a total sense of fulfillment until you've consecrate it to God, let Him anoint it, and let Him use it, and then, oh, the glory that comes from consecrating my talent to God and letting Him use it for His glory. It's really great. So Basileel, a man anointed to devise the cunning works, to work in gold, silver, brass, he's just a natural at it, in cutting of stones, carving the timber, and in work in all kinds of workmanship, a guy just skilled with his hands. And I had given with him Aholiab from the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom that they may make all that I have commanded thee, the tabernacle of the congregation, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat, the furniture of the tabernacle, the table, and all of these things. God just gave these fellows this abilities and wisdom. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths shall ye keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbaths, therefore it is holy unto you. Everyone that defiles it shall surely be put to death, for whosoever doth doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people." Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Capital punishment. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And so he gave unto Moses, he made an end of the communion with him on Mount Sinai. Gave him the two tables of testimony, the tables of stone, written with the finger of God. Now, notice on the Sabbath day that it is a definite covenant between God and the nation Israel. For their generations, between me and Israel forever. The Sabbath was not a law made for the Gentile. And nowhere in the scripture, except where a Gentile would move in to Israel, was he to observe the Sabbath. But the Gentile church was never placed under the Sabbath law in the scriptures. And in the early church, when there was an endeavor to put the Gentile church under the law, a council was called in Jerusalem in which it was determined that they should not try to put the Gentiles under the law, which Peter called a yoke of bondage, which neither we nor our fathers were able to keep. Why should we tie it on the necks of the Gentiles? And so when they wrote to them, the Gentile church of Antioch, concerning its relationship to the law of Moses, 
They said, keep yourself from fornication and from things that are strangled. And if you do this, you do well. God bless you. But nothing about the observance of the Sabbath day. And thus, Paul the Apostle said in Romans 14, one, day, one man esteems one day above another, another man esteems every day alike. Let everyone be fully persuaded in his own mind. In Colossians he said, Therefore let no man judge you in respect to Sabbath days, new moons, holy days, which were all a shadow of things to come, the real substances of Christ. Now, what was the Jewish Sabbath signifying? That God wanted his people to rest in him. But they never did rest in him, even though they did nothing on the Sabbath day. Now, Christ is the fulfillment of the Sabbath day, for Christ is our rest. And we who are in Christ have entered into his rest. So we have a perpetual Sabbath. I have ceased from my own labors. I have entered into the finished work of Jesus Christ. And even as God is now resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ as far as my salvation, I must rest where God is resting and realize that there is no work that I can offer to God of my hands that can save me. The only thing that can possibly save me is Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for my sins, and I rest in that sacrifice, that finished work of Jesus Christ. As far as my salvation is concerned, I'm resting that Christ is going to take care of it. Through his sacrifice of his blood upon the cross, I'm resting, and thus I have entered into the true Sabbath, that which the Jews haven't yet discovered, though they light their candles and say their prayers and stay in bed on Saturday. How glorious it is to know the true rest of God, the true Sabbath of God, even Jesus Christ. Now when the people saw that Moses had delayed coming down from the mountain, they gathered to Aaron and they said, Get up and make us gods that shall go before us. For as for Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. He brought us out of the land of Egypt, but what's become of him? We don't know. He's been gone now for almost 40 days. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all of the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received them at their hands and fashioned with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. So he melted down the gold, and then he fashioned it with a graving tool, a little golden calf. Notice that carefully. Because you're going to find that Aaron's a classic liar. He took this graving tool and carved out this little golden calf. And remember, he's the high priest, which might be a warning unto you that not all who are in the ministry of the gospel are totally honest in all of their dealings. You might get some computerized letters <laughs> that are filled with hypocrisy, deceit, and lies. Ooh, I could get going again. 
So the people broke off their golden earrings. He took a graving tool. He carved out this little molten calf. And he said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Oh, how quickly these people forget. You know, to me, the constant, constant burden of my heart is the fact that there are some people that just migrate towards every stupid doctrine. Every wind of doctrine, every concept that comes along, people just trailing out after it. I wish that the true doctrines, sound doctrines, could spread as rapidly as false doctrines. But man, these false doctrines seem to have wings and they spread so rapidly. The latest one being this prosperity cult. God wants all of his children to be prosperous and healthy. And if you're not prosperous and healthy, there's something wrong with your relationship with God. God help us. What a cruel, corrupt doctrine. But oh, how it has spread. Sad. The people so quickly. Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should so soon turn away from the truth? Having begun in the spirit, are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? Foolish Galatians, you turn from the truth so quickly. Foolish Israelites, you turn from the truth so quickly. God is drawing you to himself to worship the holy, living, true God. And now here you are as a little golden idol before you. And this is your God that brought you out of Egypt. And the people demanding, make us a God that we might worship. And this is the result. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Get down, for your, thy people which you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Notice this. The Lord isn't even claiming them at this point. <laughs> Thy people, which you brought out of the land of Egypt, corrupted themselves. And they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. And they have made them a molten calf and are worshiping it and have sacrificed unto it. And they have said, These are the gods, O Israel, which have brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen the people. Behold, they are stiff-necked. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make thee a great nation. I'll wipe them out, and I'll make a great nation out of you, Moses. We'll start over again. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath wax hot against thy people? Not mine, Lord, and <laughs> don't put them on me which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand. Nobody wants to claim him at this point. 
Why should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief he brought them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I will give to your seed, and they shall inherit forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Now, faced with a problem. For in Numbers 23:19 we read that God is not a man that he should repent. Or not God is not a man that he should lie nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he not spoken shall he not do it. What does it mean the Lord repented? The obvious reading of this scripture looks like God is angry, ready to destroy the children of Israel, and Moses uses some good logic and and reasons with God the reasons to spare them. Look, if you wipe them out, the Egyptians are going to say, look, you just brought them out of land or you might destroy them here. And they're going, to, they're going to speak evil against you. Why should they speak evil against you, God? Lord, now turn from your fierce anger. Don't do this. And, and God is just angry, ready to wipe them out. And Moses is the cool head and, and, he's, and he's holding God off. Now remember, Moses wrote this. <laughs> but our problem, our problem is that we have to describe God's actions in human terms. And therein lies the problem. The actions of an infinite God cannot adequately be described in human language. But we have to describe in human terms the activities of God. So we use the word, God repented. But in reality, God does not and, and, and has no need to change or to repent, which it means to change or to turn from. But from the human standpoint, how can I describe the fact that the judgment of God is due these people, but the judgment of God doesn't come upon these people? Well, God changed. No, he didn't change. Again, we see Moses standing there and interceding and holding God off. But who put it in the heart of Moses to intercede? Who put it in the heart of Moses to pray? Who put a love for these people in the heart of Moses? It was God's work in the life of Moses to begin with. The inspiration of Moses' prayer came from God himself. All true prayer begins with God. And thus, God was the inspiration behind the prayer. Now, God knows all things from the beginning. He knew that the children of Israel were going to mess things up. He knew they were going to be worshiping this calf. In fact, he knew it before they ever did it. And God is speaking to Moses about their sin. Need of judgment. M Moses is now inspired of God to plead for their salvation. But it's difficult to describe the activity. It's impossible to describe the activities of God in human terms, but we have nothing else to describe them. And thus, we have to have human terms to describe what are apparent activities of God, but yet the human terms fall short and cannot adequately describe God's actions here. 
Let it be said, if God had determined to destroy them, he would have destroyed them, and nothing Moses could have said could have changed it. The fact that they weren't destroyed only indicates that God had no intention to destroy them in the beginning. But Moses is having to describe the anger of God against these people and the deserving justice that was coming to them in the human terms, and yet the justice of God doesn't fall upon them, and thus I have to describe that also in human terms and give some sort of an explanation why these people were able to survive this great sacrilege against God. And I only have human terms to do it, but I'm dealing in those mysterious, divine, inner counsels of God of which I have no clear understanding at all. God said, my ways are not your ways. My ways are beyond your finding out. But yet I only have human terms to describe the activities of God, and thus I have to use terms that do not adequately describe what God has done, but only describes the effect of the actions in human terms. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. But yet we read over and over in the New Testament or Old Testament where God repented, but that's only describing the activity of God with a human term, which is a poor term to say the best, but yet we have nothing else. So there is the limitations always of seeking to describe the things of God with human language. It always falls short. Paul the Apostle, when he was in heaven, when he came back, he said it would be against the law. It would be a crime if I tried to describe to you in human terms the things that I heard. He just can't do it. He didn't even try. There's no language that, that, that man understands or knows. No words have yet been formed or created or devised that could adequately describe the glory, the beauty, the majesty of that heavenly realm. It's just so far beyond anything we've ever experienced or known or seen or whatever that, that it's just ridiculous to try to use human language because anything you would say would be less than it really is. So far less that it would be a crime to use human language to try to describe it. And yet, we must describe the activities of God. We only have human vocabulary to do it, and thus we have to use terms that we understand as human beings to describe the supposed actions of God. But in reality, what God has purposed, He will fulfill. And had God purposed their extermination and wiping them out, He would have done it. God did use Moses' intercession as the excuse not to do it because God delights in mercy. So Moses turned and he went down from the mountain with the two tables of testimony in his hands. The tables were written on both of their sides. And the tables were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. Oh, wouldn't it be exciting to see those two tables that God actually inscribed with his finger, the commandments upon. Whoo, wouldn't they be priceless to just look at those two tables of stone. Now when Joshua, who was the servant of Moses, who was with Moses, heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there must be a war in the camp. 
And Moses said, It's not the voice of those that shout for mastery, neither the voice of those that are crying because they're overcome. But I hear the noise of singing. And it came to pass, as soon as they came close to the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and broke them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made. He burned it in the fire. He ground it into powder, and he put the powder in water, and he made them drink the water. There, drink your God. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. You know the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. Hocus pocus dominocus. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Exodus on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Exodus 31 through 32 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Now may the Lord be with you and watch over you and keep you through the week. May you be strengthened by His Spirit in your inner man. And may you, through the understanding of the Spirit, begin to comprehend how much He really loves you. The full depth of God's love for you. May He watch over you and may you find your strength and your help this program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Have you ever had a friend who's not a believer and they ask you a question about the Bible and you're thrilled? Finally, they want to know about God, but then you go blank because you can't remember the scripture that would answer their very question. You're not alone. It happens to me all the time, and I think if only I had a quick scripture reference that would help me right then and there, that would be perfect. 
Well, guess what I found? Pastor Chuck's Old and New Testament study guides are available to download as ebooks instantly to your phone or mobile device. Now, whenever you need to find the meaning to a scripture reference quickly, you can. Pastor Chuck has written great little Bible commentaries to help anyone come to a better understanding of God's Word. To find out more and to read a book preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download the Old and New Testament study guides by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order these books in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.